Welcome to the PharmaSource podcast. Today's episode is an interview with Malik Akhtar, Vice President at Bayer's Consumer Health Division, where he oversees a network of 5,000 suppliers, including direct materials, APIs, and 180 contract manufacturers. In this interview, we talk about his career experience and shares his lessons in how to be effective in different procurement roles from his time at GSK and now at Bayer, and the three C strategy he's implemented of managing cost inflation, cash flow, and CO2 decarbonisation of the supply chain. Okay, Malik, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. You're currently Vice President at Bayer, responsible for procurement, consumer health, product supply. Could you tell us a bit more about that, please? What are you responsible for in that role? Yeah, sure. So in my current role, um, I'm basically supporting our consumer health division and Mm -hmm. our direct materials um, organisation. So everything that's involved in the manufacturing um, of our and the distribution of, of our products. Um, so within that, you know, we manage a number of uh, contract manufacturer relationships mm-hmm. where they're producing our finished goods, um, but also you know, raw materials, active ingredients and, and packaging um, components, as well as the logistics support. Uh, so be that air, ocean, road, um, right. freight and warehousing as well. A lot there then. I mean, roughly how many CDMOs, how many suppliers, you know, what does that network of suppliers look like for you? So the total number of suppliers that we have is probably in the order of around 5,000. So I think you could say more than we need. Um, Mm -hmm. But obviously within that, we actively manage, you know, on a segmentation basis, key suppliers um, of which I'd say there's probably around about 200 um, that we're involved in. CMO specifically, we have um, around about 180 at the moment that's a very significant network of contract manufacturers around you then yeah so we we have um you know quite a large uh, proportion of our manufacturing is is external um to mm. bayer so we have obviously our own manufacturing network but also um a large external network that we're working with as well very interesting if we could go back into the midst of time so before getting into all of this commercial stuff your original degree was in chemical engineering and that's where you joined gsk in a, in a chemical engineering role interested to find out a bit more about that and also what that looks like from someone with a, a science background then over time transitioning into a commercial function so how did that work for you i think in in many ways i've ended up very close to where i started so i i came down to to london uh, many years ago and got the role at uh, what was the Wellcome Foundation at the time. So mm-hmm. a couple of iterations before it even became uh, GSK and was working in the one of the API manufacturing facilities they had at the time in Dartford in the, in the southeast of, of England um, and had a great time working on kind of process design, plant design, then kind of installation qualification and then ultimately moved into an operations role. So working on you know actually running running the plant um, uh, more technically and um, involved in the design mm. um, and had a great time. You know, I mean, I was at the very beginning of, of my career involved directly on the shop floor, um, really, really rolling my sleeves up and getting my hands dirty. And uh, if you like, and how I moved from that into my first commercial role. So my very first steps into procurement was effectively the products that I was responsible for producing uh, were coming to the end of their patent life. 
So mm. as you'll know, within a, within a standard farmer lifecycle, you know, you will make during the innovation and launch um, years, but then as it becomes mature and, and post-mature and off-patent, you need to find more cost-effective ways um, to produce the, the drug because you will get um, pressure on the on the selling price. So this mm -hmm. came around on, on the antiviral portfolio I was looking at. So I was given the opportunity to join procurement and to see if I could find someone anywhere else in the world that could make it um, at a more competitive price. Mm. I obviously knew at that point exactly how to make it. I mean, I was responsible for writing the the instructions and the batch record sheets um, in the plant itself. And But what I obviously didn't know was anything about the commercial skills. Uh, luckily, I had a very good teacher um, at the time who helped me to understand, you know, how do you build relationships with the with these supplier partners? How do you better understand what it is that they want and come to a fair price and a fair commercial agreement? So, so that was kind of my first step 23 years ago now, almost 24 years into, into procurement. Mm. Um, and something stuck, I guess, in terms of what I saw and learned from the, from the commercial side. Is that a transition which you'd recommend to others? I mean, when you're thinking about your own team now, are, are those types of skills, someone with a background in chemistry, or is it easier to find someone who's already got those commercial skills? The most important thing for me and when we're going through the, the, the hiring process is it doesn't matter. Mm. I, and actually, one of the things that we really value is is the diversity that different people, different backgrounds and skills can bring um, to the team. I mean, yes, we have a number of uh, subject matter experts that have come and have kind of developed the commercial skills. We have people who joined from the commercial organization and they've had to learn some more of the, the content and the details of what it is that they're buying and those relationships that they're negotiating. Um, but, you know, not many people actually set out for a career in procurement. Mm. I, I didn't. I mm -hmm. don't think I really knew what procurement was at the point I was deciding which uh, which degree course to, to, to embark on. Um, so I think for me, yes, it really, really helps if you deeply understand what it is you're buying, the category that you're responsible for. But equally, it's it's just as effective if you know where you can find that information, you know, whether you're mm. going to teach yourself and upskill yourself or whether you're going to build a really uh, supportive network of experts, be that quality, technical, regulatory, um, you know, more so on, on the direct side where I'm now, where I'm now um, working. It, for me, that one of the areas which is really a, a differentiator is much more based on the personality of mm. people and actually how you approach um, building relationships, how you influence others, be that internal stakeholders, external suppliers, um, to create those, those strong partnerships and ultimately to get people what you want them to do <laughs> at its very, yeah, yeah. very basic level. That's the differentiator for me in terms of between good and, and great procurement people. When you did that first change and you're looking to going from an in-house model to an outsourcing model, did you have in mind already the kind of cost reduction you need? More generally, what kind of scale are we looking at for that? Um, so I'm not sure I remember whether we had a margin target at that point in time. It is a very long, long time mm. ago. But I think that we were, if I remember rightly, we were able to reduce the cost of the active ingredients um, by about 70%. Okay. So it's significant. And obviously, you know, knowing when we're going from 
from patent protection to to competing in a generics market that wouldn't be uh, dissimilar to to uh, to other um, pricing changes that we see. Yeah, hence the network of yeah. outsourcing partners. Yeah. The next step for you then was going into completely different categories. So moving moving away from APIs and moving in, into marketing. Interested to know about that transition for you. And what sort of steps did you take or would you recommend others take when they're going into a completely new category? So there was a, a brief step in between, which was actually mm. when we were setting up the, the e-sourcing program at, uh, at GSK. And um, just to be very honest, um, I'd just successfully run the first reverse auction for for an API um, when I was in the uh, that procurement team at, at GSK, um, and you know one of the the guys I've been working with that I had a lot of uh, respect for and was setting up the program and asked mm. me if I wanted to join. I said, "Yeah, why not? This is this is new and something which will be a be a new challenge." And and it was when I was working in the e-sourcing program, you know, convincing people not only internally but externally about the power of reverse auctions and, and how we could achieve um, so much more that I was exposed to many other areas of procurement. So, mm-hmm. you know, I did a little bit of work in HR services, IT, R&D, but then also marketing. And, you know, I think having a relatively logical chemical engineer's brain and looking at marketing as a category and area thinking seems a little bit um, dysfunctional, dare I say, or mm-hmm. disorganized. So, so thought that there was something there that I could really um, get stuck into and, and try and apply some of those commercial skills, those relationship building skills that I that I mentioned to an entirely different and uh, and creative category. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, you asked about you know the what people should think about when transitioning from one category to the other. Um, one of the things I feel very strongly about is. Um, you don't have to stay on directs or indirect side. And I know a lot of people have this, this perception that if you do one, you can't necessarily do the other. Procurement is an entirely transferable skill set. Mm. The tools and the techniques that we have come from a they all come from ultimately the same uh, the same place. How you apply them, you know, where you put the focus, whether it be on more on stakeholder engagement and business partnering um, on indirect categories more on supplier relationship management for direct categories as an example. Um, you just need to think about how you use those those tools and techniques. But I would always encourage people to to try both sides. How would you characterize the difference between the two? I mean, you said marketing can feel a bit dysfunctional perhaps when you walk into it. Is there a particular approach that works better when you're talking to the sales and marketing side of the business versus the engineering or the API side? Yeah, so one of the elements I, I I just alluded to in terms of where you focus your time and effort. So mm. within marketing procurement, I spent much more of my time working with my internal stakeholder group, um, much more time really deeply understanding what it is that they wanted, what it is that they wanted to achieve, because um, typically it's not saving money, mm. which on the direct side, obviously, where we're trying to limit and reduce costs of goods, it's much more in focus. But from a marketing perspective, this is about getting, you know, as much as you possibly can from the available budget that you have. Um, It's about producing, you know, um, the best, most famous creative content that you can that potentially is going to to win awards Um, Mm -hmm. and making sure that you can get that content and those messages to the right people at the the right time to to influence their their purchase uh, decisions. So 
So having to think a bit more about how the marketeers are motivated, understanding what their objectives are and doing whatever you can to align behind that really, really helps you. It's hard to put a number on creativity, isn't it? How do you attempt to budget or try and come up with some ROI around creative? As you said, it's it's difficult to put a price on creativity. I've been told that many, many times in my in my career. For me, it's you know taking a, a finite amount of money because the budget will essentially be set and getting the best possible work um, for that. And there are different ways that you can you can measure measure that, whether it's econometrics or, or looking at the quality of the creative based on focus groups and and, and feedback. Um, so you can have a quantitative assessment of how good creative is and it just becomes a case of how much are you willing to pay for for the results that it will that it will deliver so Mm. more and more now and certainly as we do more programmatic um advertising and and personalized uh, media campaigns you can see the return that you get based on the investment and based on the quality of the creative that you're Mm. that you're serving up so it's only going to become more and more prevalent i'm sure of it yeah the last few years, I think for everyone working in pharma, have been pretty tough. It's been a very bumpy road. What's it been like for you? I mean, what's your experience been since COVID started to started to fade and then the global uncertainty, yeah. inflation that's followed? What's your experience been of that? Um, so it's been quite rough. Mm. Uh, we've not been spared the, the challenges that I know many other organisations have, have suffered. I mean, I rejoined um, the direct materials and this, the current role I'm in, in uh, the summer of 2021, which was in many ways either the best or the worst possible time to come back into this mm. part of the organization because um, inflation has been rampant. Um, and there's been many contributing factors to that, whether it's energy, wage costs, you know, the, um, the demand um, boom as we've come out of um, COVID and supply chain disruptions that we've seen in China yeah. and, 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 other, and other places. So um, I think the, the most important things for me and some of the principles that we've looked to apply and going all the way back to, to how I learned to, to build these relationships with our key supplier partners is, you know, we treat people fairly. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, this is really, really, uh, really, really key. And um, nobody likes accepting a price increase. Uh, and we certainly will push back on excessive, ex- excessive um, requests for price increases. But we have to be sympathetic and we have to support not only a sustainable business for Bayer, but a sustainable business for, for our, our suppliers. And we've, I feel we've done that really well over the last, mm-hmm. um, the last couple of years. Um, and of course, you know, in return, what we ask is as things start to normalize, that we have the opportunity to come back and say, well, now now the trend is going in the other direction. And and that's a lot of the work that, that my team is uh, is engaged in at the moment is, mm. is how we make sure 2024 and beyond is uh, is a little more normal. I'm not sure it will ever be yeah. exactly as it was before, mm. but uh, a bit of more normalization. What kind of strategies have you put in place to manage the cost increases and then hopefully starting to drop again in the year ahead? There's lots of things that we always had as good ideas, but we were never able to implement in the past. So, for mm. example, you know, we have talked about having 5,000 suppliers. We don't need 5,000 suppliers. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, anything that we can do to to streamline and simplify the supply base makes everybody's life 
easier in terms of managing it internally. But also it means that we can consolidate more of our spend and activity with fewer suppliers, which means you know they will also win through through this process. What we buy is also sometimes unnecessarily complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many things that we buy which are unique um, to us. Um, mm-hmm. So the complexity um, is another area where we can address and we can standardize because of course that that makes us more resilient because it mm-hmm. gives us more mm-hmm. options in in the market as well. So. So those are just a couple of the levers that, that we're looking yep. to accelerate on. I suppose that makes it easier to switch suppliers as well if you've got a more yep. of a standard offering. It, yeah. If it, depending on, on the the extent of the regulations, yes, it gives us more more freedom and, and more resilience. Let's talk then about cash flow because your new CEO, Bill Anderson, he's made some very, very public statements about the cash flow situation at Bear, saying that a company that has nearly 50 billion euros in revenue, but zero cash flow is simply not acceptable. Now, that's all public knowledge. Yeah. How's that filtered down to you and to the strategies you're putting in place to manage cash flow? Yes, yeah, so based on that. And obviously, we, we issued a profit warning at the end of July this year, where we reduced our um, cash flow forecast from 3 billion euros down to zero. So as you can imagine, obviously, that that created an impact externally, but internally, it really doubled down our efforts on um, really the three main things and three main areas where we need to focus on on uh, improving the cash flow cycle. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. One, obviously, we have uh, the one which is directly linked to procurement around accounts payable. Um, so in terms of optimizing payment terms, um, something I know, you know, many of my uh, colleagues across the industry have, have worked hard on for many years. Mm. Um, at the other end, working on accounts receivable. So the speed with which we are uh, receiving the money from our customers. And then in the middle, the, the inventory that, that we're, that we're work, that we're holding, um, internally. Mm. Um, so we are, leading the initiative and i'm leading an initiative across uh bayer for accounts payable uh as we look to to um uh, capitalize on longer payment terms where wherever we possibly can and also we're involved in some uh, inventory um initiatives as well so when it's things like um consignment stock holding and, and different uh tools that we can use to to yeah. help us with that so um so yeah we're, we're very much uh focused on that is there a role for technology across those three different areas? I mean, there's lots of procure tech companies out there which would say that they can solve or, or at least assist in those three different areas. Is that something you're looking at or, or do you feel as though you've already got enough tech for the time being? Thank you very much. There are a few different questions in there. So, so yep, we have plenty of tech, um, but we don't have solutions to all of our challenges. Mm. So I would always be open to discussing new opportunities to explore um, tech to help us to solve some of those some of those challenges. We're not currently looking at tech um, specific to to this. Um, I think the only one I would probably say is um, we're using uh, a platform to support our supply chain finance um, mm. program, uh, and I think that is a. Uh, um, an innovation for for buyer for sure. Yeah, you call these the three C's, don't you? Cost, inflation, cash flow, and CO two. Yep, these are kind of not not the the full exhaustive list of um, of priorities for sure, but but these mm-hmm. are probably the three biggest that we will focus on in uh, in twenty twenty four and beyond. So yeah, the elements of cost that mm-hmm. we talked about. So how do we optimize the cost of goods, cash improvement, and then also what do we do to to help to to decarbonize. 
Um, And really, as it relates to procurement, with a specific focus on scope three. Um, Mm -hmm. As as an organization, I think we've made good, great progress on scope one and and scope two uh, already. Uh, And obviously, procurement are involved in scope two in terms of sourcing the the green uh, electricity, Mm -hmm. green energy. Um, But scope three, and I know this is a common challenge across uh, the industry as well, we still have work to do um, in terms of measurement and reporting and just making sure that we're engaged with the right suppliers and moving in the right direction. It's usually the the biggest by a long way, isn't it, Scope 3? Do you have a, a sense of how much of your emissions fall into Scope 3? Yeah, I mean, it varies by division. As, you, mm. as I'm sure you know, Bayer has three different businesses in agriculture, pharmaceuticals and, and consumer health. Um, for, you know, I'm uh, obviously associated with consumer health. And I know here it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's the vast majority is, is Scope 3. Because mm-hmm. of the, nat- the nature of the manufacturing operations that we have are really just secondary manufacturing um, operations, so formulation and packaging um, activities. So um, I believe it's probably 10, 20% only is scope one and two, and the, mm-hmm. the balance is, uh, is all scope three. A huge amount in there. Yep. How do you work with suppliers on that mission? I mean, it, uh, so much of the responsibility is going to ultimately fall on them. How are you collaborating with your your network of suppliers to try and hit those targets? So um, a few different things. I mean, the, the main approach is actually working through um, a specialist group that we have. So we have a, a Scope 3 Accelerator um, team. Okay. So they sit within our central uh, governance and enabling procurement uh, team um, and they are working to engage with the top suppliers so I think um, for consumer health we're talking about maybe um, 30 or 40 suppliers out of the total number these are the ones that are contributing the largest um, carbon footprint and really understanding so what are you already what are you already doing mm. uh, so what do you already have in, in in place because in some cases we are also learning from, from the suppliers and in, and in some cases they are more mature uh, and more sophisticated than than some of the things that, that we're doing so yep. we can learn you know and, and, and equally they can they can learn from us so it's really strengthening those relations relationships um, as part of the supplier relationship management program so this works hand in hand with our SRM uh, program as well those three areas we've been talking about there so cost cash flow and decarbonization how do you balance those three priorities is there a perfect formula for it how are you thinking about it so not perfect uh and it it ultimately i mean comes down to a to a trade-off decision and a trade-off discussion and i think that what we do and what we try and focus on is is giving all of the teams the all the information they need to make the best informed decision for their category their supplier um, their RFP or sourcing um, activity as as best they can. Um, if they need help and support, then of course they can they can escalate that. Um, mm. But we we try wherever possible um, to get all three. Are you able to track all three together? I mean, is there a reporting mechanism where you can you can sort of see them, score them across the three criteria? Yes, for, I mean for cost and cash, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. For carbon, it's still um, work in progress. Yeah. We're at the start of 2024. What are your New Year's resolutions? What are the main strategic priorities for you for the year ahead? So, I mean, I think we talked about the the, the elements around the the objectives, so how we can support um, Bayer as, a, as an organisation. Uh, I think probably the biggest resolution for me as we go into 2024 
um, is more around um, the people. Mm. So here, if you like, you have the fourth C, which is around the community that that support and help to deliver deliver this work. Um, we know, and you know, if you read any um, newspaper at the moment, you can probably find out quite a lot about some of the challenges that we face at Bayer um, at the moment. Bill Anderson has been uh, clear about some of the potentially difficult decisions that will need to be taken in 2024 about the future of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, my main resolution is is retaining um, optimism and positivity about what the future will look like and helping to, to lead and support the team through any changes that will come uh, next year, whatever they will be, because there's some uncertainty ahead of it. Not just for buyer, of course, for yeah. so many people. It's going to be an interesting year of rebalancing. Exactly. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. Really appreciate it. Fascinating insights. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks again to Malik for sharing those insights. He'll be speaking at an upcoming PharmaSource event, which we'll be announcing very soon. So make sure you don't miss out by registering at pharmasource.global so you receive our newsletter, exclusive resources and invitations to events. Thank you for listening.